good morning and welcome to the Speakers Inc. Global Speakers Showcase. This week we continue with another great opportunity for you to find the speaker that you are looking for for your particular event. Today is the turn of Bruce Whitfield. Now once we've heard Bruce talk, we will be asking him a couple of questions. I've seen the talk before, so I really am very excited to ask him a few questions. Once you've done that, you then have the opportunity to log on to speakersinc.com, find out more about all of the wonderful entertainers, speakers, magicians, MCs, fire dancers, whatever it is you are looking for, Bronwyn and Duncan can most certainly help you find that particular entertainment. So ladies and gentlemen, let's focus on the task at hand. Let's introduce to you the man who is going to be spending some time with us this morning. His name is Bruce Woodfield. Bruce is a financial journalist who broadcasts in radio and television. He writes extensively for financial publications, has been published in the Financial Times of London, no less. He has also written two books, the most recent of which is Genius, How to Take Smart Ideas Global, and he is now planning to live that particular mantra himself. Ladies and gentlemen, let's find out more about the book, more about Bruce. Welcome, Bruce Woodfield. I'm Bruce Whitfield and I've written a brand new book. It is called Genius, How to Take Smart Ideas Global. And it is all about some of the smartest people that I've had the privilege of interacting with over the last 20 years. I've watched their businesses grow, I've watched their ideas come to fruition, and I've watched them take these businesses global. I've taken those learnings, I've put them between the covers of this particular book. Or I can save you the trouble and I can give you a brief introduction into what it's all about. So the one thing I have learned over more than 20 years of interviewing rich and powerful people is they have one common characteristic and that characteristic is all about optimism. Optimism is a really funny term, isn't it? You would think that optimism is this sunny outlook on life, that everything will be all right in the end. And by far, in the majority of cases, it's not that at all. Optimism is this enormous sense of self-belief, not maybe bordering on arrogance, that they can change the world for the good. And if not the world, then certainly a tiny proportion of the world. Business is about creating solutions to problems. And my book, Genius, details a whole range of people who, in the hotbed of South Africa, a deeply dysfunctional and, and downright dangerous place in many cases, and certainly not a supportive business environment, we've seen some fantastic businesses created, and those businesses have taken on global application. I'm going to tell you about some of those today. Now, you might not agree with the global outlook of Vladimir Lenin, but certainly he was a deeply intelligent man who created an entire movement around communism. But there are decades where nothing happens, he said, and there are weeks where decades happen. And certainly the last 24, 36 months has felt exactly like that. We went into 2020 with a great sense of optimism and hope of expansion and growth and new opportunity. And COVID-19 came out of left field and severely disrupted everything we knew. As Mike Tyson puts it, of course, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. But here's the problem. COVID-19, the disease itself, in all of its horror and awfulness, 
is not the problem. The problem is more about the consequences of COVID-19. Those consequences with which we are living right now of deep global dislocation, of growing global discontent, of workplaces changing in some cases irretrievably from being deeply populated places and places of joy and happiness and sharing into empty cavernous spaces and for property owners obviously panicking about how this future is going to look. A somewhat dystopian future, an uncertain future. But we should not have been surprised by COVID-19. We really shouldn't have. Bill Gates gets lots of credit for a TED talk he gave in probably 2016 or thereabouts when he warned about the next crisis in the world. The next thing to kill 10 million people would be a virus, not a war. Well, Joshua Lederberg and other scientists have been warning about this for decades. And Time magazine is so good, isn't it, at covering the stories over decades and saying something is changing in the world. Let's be careful about this. Billboards are warning about it. We get warnings all the time that we ignore, signals that we ignore. And we need to be far more open, of course, to the risks and dangers that are all around us all the time. Joshua Lederberg was warning uh, probably in the early 2000s about the biggest threat. And he called it man's or humanity's continued dominance on the planet is going to be as a result of a virus. He was a smart guy. So do you still believe in the Hans Rosling philosophy that the world is getting incrementally better all the time? His view was we as humans are negative, we have biases, we assume the worst of everything, we have an over-dramatic worldview. I think I still believe that his core thesis does hold true, that not every day, not in every way, and certainly not everywhere, but yes, I think in general, the world continues to improve. If you look at the huge advancements that we've seen in recent years as a result of scientific developments when it comes to vaccines and the proven eff efficacy of those vaccines, if we look at the huge technological leaps that have happened over the last two or three years as well, as people have changed the way they've worked, changed the way they've interacted with the world and have become far more globally connected, the world's almost become more borderless in some way in terms of intellectual property and the capacity to take smart ideas global. An asset manager I know, he runs a business called 91, headquartered in London. His name is Hendrik Dutoy. He says it's never been easier to take your smart idea global. It's also never been more competitive. And we are, let's not forget, in a deeply fractured world. What did Jack Nicholson say? Did he say, is this as good as it gets? Well, that was the title of the movie. And here we sit in a world where the pandemic has wrought havoc and has caused dislocations and are going to take decades to work their way out of the system. We've got a war that is going on in Eastern Europe and frankly, it could get worse as Russia, of course, invasion of Ukraine and the constant threat of the tensions escalating is concerning. We've got global inflation finally beginning to pick up. Since 2010, when the US Fed was forced to print money to reinflate the American economy that had fallen over as a result of securitization and bad debts and a property bubble, uh, that then was carried through the 2010 decade. And as we got to 2010, the only solution to stopping the world from imploding as we came to that dead stop, of course, with COVID-19, as countries locked down and borders closed, was to print even more money. And so we've got this enormous amount of excess 
excess liquidity in markets as the US Fed tries to wean the world off that easy, cheap and almost free money and starts to raise interest rates. That is a deep concern, of course, for anybody in financial markets, for anybody in business uh, to watch the cost of capital finally beginning to rise slightly. We see these huge whipsaws and volatility and real concern about what the future holds. This is the first time in 40 years that the world has faced a potential calamity when it comes to runaway inflation. And the only way that we know of dealing with runaway inflation is to make capital more expensive. So it's leading to some deep concerns at the moment. Maybe more concerning than this current crisis and the COVID crisis and the dislocation in supply chains and the blockages in ports and the breakdown of those supply chains worldwide is that we've taken our eye off the ball when it comes to the climate crisis. It hasn't gone away as we've seen record high temperatures in places like Canada, in India, land temperatures going as high as 60 degrees Celsius, portending potentially a far more difficult future than we'd ever wished was possible. All of these things, of course, coming together at the same time as the population continues to grow. And we look towards a potential population by the year 2050 of 10 billion. This is quite a frightening sort of scenario. And of course, it's leading to polarization. It's leading to protectionism. It's leading to a battening down of the hatches. It's leading to real fear in societies all around the globe. And it's what people are playing on around the globe as well. It's a tool for people like Vladimir Putin in Russia. It's a tool for the Chinese to become more insular and more self-reliant. It's a tool for divisive politicians across Europe, across the United States to start really corralling their interest groups in an effort to gain political power into the future. So all of these things are intertwined and it becomes a really frightening place to live. But here's the thing. Has there ever been a decade in human history? Has there ever been a decade in human history? And if there has been, please tell me about it, because I'd be curious to read about it, where there's been any level of great certainty. I would argue that there's always been deep uncertainty. As we came out of World War II, we went into the Cold War. We went into this real threat of conflagration that dominated the world for 40 years until the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Then it became a worry about migration and it became a worry about a rise in nationalism after 2008. I remember a conversation I had with David Blunkett, who was the Home Secretary to Tony Blair. And I said, what is the consequence going to be of the 2008 financial crisis. And he said, we won't see it for a decade or more, but it's going to be rising levels of nationalism, more fractious politics. And my goodness me, what a visionary he has been on that particular point. So we don't know the consequences yet of COVID-19. We can, however, begin to postulate that it is going to lead for the next decade or two, at least in greater divisions around the world, rather than a coming together. But here's the point. Throughout our history, people have made a plan. People adapt really quickly. Businesses certainly adapt because that is their survival mechanism. And as a CEO friend of mine said uh, not so long ago, negative people never build anything. And it's so wonderfully, wonderfully 
simplistic a worldview, but it is also quite deep and quite meaningful. If you look at Steve Jobs in 2008, what an optimist Steve Jobs was as he came out and said, we're going to disrupt the global cell phone market. Just less than a year before Jobs held up a keyless phone with a touch screen that nobody had ever dared to contemplate before, Forbes magazine or Fortune magazine or one of those had had on its cover, can anybody stop Nokia? Nokia was severely disrupted. BlackBerry was severely disrupted by a new generation of technologies, a huge advancement, a step change in technologies, the inclusion of your entire office of 1980 with paintings on the walls and with a computer and with a camera and with a radio and a hi-fi and big speakers this size, Everything is condensed into the magic of a smartphone. You can reach the world, you can change the world, sitting with a decent Wi-Fi connection and a smartphone. Elon Musk is another great example. Born in South Africa, went to Canada, educated in the United States, expanding his empire to become, in 2021, the richest person in the world, overtaking Jeff Bezos at Amazon, who is another person, by the way, who's taken an incredibly smart idea global. His ability, 20 years before the rest of the world caught on to the fact that this internet thing may just get quite big, allowed him to create Amazon as a bookshop and then the everything store. So these are smart people who look into the future and challenge the future and challenge our preconceptions and really interpret information today better than anybody else. I don't know how many Panasonic products you've got in your house, but the chief executive of Panasonic, not a big fan of Elon Musk, as you can see. Elon Musk is a genius, which I think is correct, but he defies common sense and can be overly optimistic. What's Elon's response to that? Well, I'd rather be optimistic and wrong than pessimistic and right. Isn't that a wonderful philosophy to have? Because Thomas Edison didn't get to the light bulb immediately. He's rumored to have had 10,000 goes before the incandescent light bulb was invented. People try and try, try new things all the time. They will fail and some will succeed. Some will go into the, the dustbin of history and others will be held up as visionaries into the future. And that's what's so interesting about the world of genius and the world that we inhabit, is that people who truly have a mindset of expansion and growth, even in difficult times, have far greater chance of success than those who simply sit on the sidelines and wait for the environment to improve as if there's a magic wand that is going to do it for them. A friend of mine called Brian Joffe, in one of the darkest times in South African history, when the apartheid was dying, the, the party, the political party that implemented it, of course, the National Party, simply hadn't cottoned on to the fact yet that it had lost. The country defaulted on its debts. Businesses were going bankrupt. People were being cast deeper and deeper into poverty. And he started a business which not only became a dominant force across the African continent, but through an investment in food services businesses, inhabited all, all but the United States in terms of delivering food to restaurants and into the into hospitality and hospital sectors. And that's his Bidvest, which Bidcorp is now a separately listed entity on global markets. But the Bidvest philosophy is really important here. Bidvest does not participate in any recession. It's something, it's a poster that's in every facility, in every office, in every factory, in every building that they operate. Bidvest does not participate in the recession. You think to yourself, hold on a second, but that is madness. You can't ignore reality. 
And it's not about ignoring reality. It is about simply saying we will navigate crises better than our rivals. We will not be held back. We will not be constrained by the environment. We will navigate the environment. And so in addition to being great optimists, the people I've been talking to for the last 20, 25 years are not only great optimists, but they are also able to interpret noise and information better than anybody else better than their rivals, and that way they navigate crises better and better. And that is why facts, 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 facts matter in a deeply divisive world where we're having greater physical confrontation between people and states and police officers and police services all over the world. We're getting great rage and anger and resentment building as the super rich get richer and the poor feel more and more marginalized. And it's leading to this misinformation age, this era where everybody has a device in their hands and anybody can create a revolution if they can get enough followers and get a message that works. And again, this is nothing new, by the way. It's just that information moves faster and is more borderless than ever before. Voltaire, he was a French philosopher up until about a decade before the French Revolution is when he died. And he warned back then that anybody who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And we live in that world today. That was the January 6th invasion of the US Capitol, an astonishing event in human history where people felt quite liberated and felt that they were entitled to take control of a state they believed was leaving them behind because they believed in the Make America Great Again mantra of uh, then President Donald Trump, who did very little, it would seem, uh, to, to stop them from going into the heart of American democracy and destabilize it. They felt entitled to do it. They had enough forces together. They caught security services by surprise. It was a really quite terrifying time for American democracy. So sometimes you need to look at the world slightly differently. Sometimes you need to look at the world with a, a different lens. And sometimes it's not about what you see directly in front of you as you try to go through the world and try to understand how it works. As people I talk about in the book Genius and in my podcast series and, and in other avenues, it's about looking beneath the surface. Let me tell you a quick story about a mathematician, a statistician called Abram Walt, who in 1943, a Hungarian Jew, by the way, summoned to a tall building in Manhattan where he was asked for his input on why American planes were being shot down with such high frequency in the Japanese, in the Pacific Rim of the war. And he was looking at the same schematic, this very schematic at which you're looking at. And they'd mapped out where airplanes that were making it back to base and stuttering in and crashing on the runways and crashing onto the decks of aircraft carriers, how they were making it back and why so many were not making it back. And for days they argued back and forth about whether the tips of the wings were vulnerable or whether the fuselage was vulnerable. Until Abramvat went, we're not looking at the right information. We're not looking at what we're not seeing. And they looked at him, I think, as if he was slightly stupid. And they said, but Abram, what do you mean? He said, we're only looking at the planes that come back. We're not looking at the planes that don't come back. If we look at where the planes that come back are not hit, we know where the aircraft that are hit are being hit. The engines in the cockpit. The pilots are being shot up in the cockpit. That's where we need to make things a lot more secure. And in that moment, there was an epiphany because one person had dared to look at the world slightly differently. And that's why it's so critical, as Yuval Noah Hariri puts it, saying, having power 
means knowing what to ignore. That is an important superpower. And I want to leave this with you, with one of the geniuses in my book, a young man called Robbie Brosen, who in the same year as Brian Joffe started Bidvest, went for lunch with a friend of his called Fernando Duarte. And Fernando and Robbie were colleagues. They went for lunch in different places every day. They sat down and they had some spicy chicken with Mozambican flavors of peri-peri and spiciness and warmth and joy and happiness. And they argue about who said it to the other. But one of them said to the other, we must take this chicken to the world. And they did from one restaurant to two to three to the United Kingdom. A huge and audacious step. They did it with a partner, with a partner who sat down with him and said, we must take this chicken to the world. And they did. The partner then said, we're going to divide this business up. I, I'm going to take a steak for my family. You're going to have a steak for your families. And here is the capital. And this is the share of the business that I require in order to give me the security to provide you with this capital. He provided three more tranches of capital as they went through great difficulty and considered leaving Australia, considered leaving Canada, considered leaving the United Kingdom. They didn't get it right immediately. What stake did Dick Enthoven, the funder of Nando's, want? Well, I'm not going to tell you that, obviously, because that in itself is a moment of sheer genius. How safe is the world right now? I don't know. Leadership is important. Leadership is critical. From Biden to Modi in India, to Putin in Russia and whatever he does next, to Jacinda Ardern in the bottom end of the world in New Zealand, no insult meant New Zealand, to Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom. One thing that we know is that politicians can either make or break a short period in a country's history. The great thing about democracies around the world is this quote, which is often attributed to Mark Twain, but again, the internet is quite a divisive place and lots of people fib about things. So I'm not giving a Mark Twain credit for this, and if he did say it, thank you, Mark, um, it's a very good quote. Politicians and diapers should be changed often and for the same reason. We live in a divisive world. We live in a difficult world, in a dangerous world, in a world where technology is moving at an increasingly rapid pace. But I think that's a huge positive. I think that we've learned through COVID-19 that technology matters, that science matters. All of these things are critical. And of course, leadership matters. Countries where leadership has failed has seen far more hardship. But leadership for the future, of course, is going to require us to have a new kind of dispensation for a global economy that is going to be fractious, is going to be tortured. But inside that, opportunists will come through and find solutions to problems, seemingly intractable problems, problems that politicians can't solve, problems that businesses solve, problems that smart people doing smart things in businesses solve, remarkable individuals, people like I've had the privilege of meeting and talking about and writing about in Genius and interviewing regularly over many years. As Andy Grove put it, and this is marvelous, bad companies are destroyed by a crisis, good companies survive a crisis, but great companies are defined by a crisis. This crisis of global confidence is reshaping the world. And one thing we know from our history is as difficult as crises are, as uncertain as the world is in a time of deep dislocation. His humanity rises like cream to the top of milk. 
and find solutions to those problems. It's uncomfortable in the short term, but sometimes the world gets a shake-up that leaves humanity better off in the longer term. So just three thoughts before I leave you. Yes, bad stuff happens, but it is up to you as to how you choose to navigate it. Events make the news on a daily basis. News is this great big availability machine of noise and clutter. We very seldom know what really goes on beneath the surface. Long-term trends, developments, advancements, gradual improvements, the sort of stuff that Hans Rosling spoke about. Those things don't make the news, but those are the things that ultimately improve and uplift the world. If you look at the world today, murder rates, child mortality rates, the world is better today. Believe it or not, than it was 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and certainly before then, where there were no painkillers, where there was no Netflix, another smart idea gone global, no social media, which is irritating and frustrating and a little bit divisive and scary, but my goodness gracious me, the free flow of information is a, also a powerful tool to be harnessed. And the biggest thing I've learned is that successful people optimize uncertainty. If you can optimize uncertainty in a noisy world, you set up for success like few others are. One last, last thought, and it's a, a quote from the great Abraham Lincoln, and I know this to be true because I found it on the internet. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Abe Lincoln, 2012. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this part of the presentation today. I'm really grateful that you've taken the time out. I hope to be able to speak to you in greater detail to your teams about some of the real geniuses that have come from one of the most divisive places on the planet. People who have created solutions to problems, seemingly impossible problems to solve, and have taken those ideas global. The architect who employs 400 people in Cape Town, South Africa, and 97% of his work done at um, prices of $15 million and upwards, are done in other markets around the globe, from a yacht club in China, to factories and to office towers in Abuja, to ski resorts in Colorado, to the Nando's story, to an asset management story of courage and fortitude, of operating in complete ignorance, yet still taking those smart ideas global. Fabulous stories to share with you. I hope to do so soon. Bye-bye. First of all, thank you very much for spending time with us. It has been so good to watch the 25-minute talk. I just watched you do. And thank you for being part of the Global Speakers Showcase. It really is a huge treat for us. Thank you. I know I was told to stick to 20 minutes. I'm sorry, 25. Nah. There's so much to say, Dwayne. So much well, to say. That's the one thing. In the last four minutes with the three pearls of wisdom that came out of it, which turned into four, which I felt could have turned into seven or eight or ten quite easily. So thank you again. The one thing that came out of this talk, and in fact, many talks that I do watch like this one, is what are you doing at the moment that you think is really relevant worldwide? Why is this relevant? No, it, well, there is a very clear thing. It's never been clearer to me that the world is going to go into 
For the first time in decades and for the first time in living memory for most people watching this and most people who will participate in talks in the next year, two or three, is we're going into a world of extreme scarcity. And scarcity is going to be our watchword, I think, for the foreseeable future. Money is going to become increasingly scarce. Opportunities are going to become increasingly scarce. Um, and the only thing of which there is an overabundance is fear and trepidation of the future. And it was so clear to me when I went to the World Economic Forum in Davos in May this year, um, and just that real palpable sense of concern that the party well and truly, the post-World War II consensus is over, we're headed potentially to a new Cold War environment, mm. we're headed towards a, a phase of de-globalization, um, an increasingly fractious and temperamental world, a world in which Vladimir Putin can invade his neighbor Ukraine, and there's not much that the world can do about it other than impose sanctions and financial consequences. And, and there's this real fear of nuclear war. My parents lived through the fear of nuclear war. I haven't worried about it much until about eight months ago. Um, and, and suddenly we're going into this environment. And what I find so interesting is just how calm most of the people that I've written about in my book, Genius, How to Take Smart Ideas uh -huh. Global, there it is, um, <laughs> how calm they are about the situation. Because South Africans have lived through this for decades, we've lived through massive surges in uh, in inflation and the consequential high interest rates and the political uncertainty that the world is going through. We've lived it and then some. And the stories I tell in Genius are about people who know how to navigate these obstacles, people whose lessons are so relevant today to anyone anywhere in the world who is frightened of the future because I've got firsthand insight as to how many of the great people I talk to and have spoken to and have written about and speak about all the time have navigated very, very similar circumstances for decade after decade after decade. There are countless lessons that I can share. At the beginning of the talk, you mentioned optimism. It takes more than that. What else do these people have in common? Now, that optimism is one, the most important thing, uh, because sure. if you don't have an optimistic outlook, if you don't have a growth mindset, then you start having this very, um, this, this mindset of scarcity, which is what yeah. is so dangerous. And this is the world that we're going into, because if you are constrained by scarcity, you are not going to be able to lift your head and look for opportunities. You're going to be very constrained and, and you're going to be trimming down and cutting back rather than being expansionist in your thinking. So yes, of course, optimism is important important. But we also need to move from fear mongering and worry and realize that in fact, the world today is a considerably better place than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and mm. there are multiple data points I can use to show this in terms of women going to young girls going to school, young women going to school, um, just me menstruation, for example, um, is, is not necessarily a breakfast topic in every household. <laughs> uh, but it is a massive constraint and a limitation on the lives of so many young women when they go to school. And the world is beginning to recognize these issues as being important um, and beginning to understand that, you know, you can't be educating young women fairly in a world that is should be more equitable than it is if you're not taking these issues more seriously. Um, so certainly from a point of view of optimism, seeing opportunity in a world rather than just the risk and the danger, don't ignore the risk and the danger, navigate it as I talk about, but understand that the obstacles are there to be got around. And if it isn't Armageddon, you should be building.
Um, it is right. the wonderful quote from Adrian Gore, the founder mm. of Discovery and Vitality Worldwide. It is a case of really you are better off if you are constantly in building mode rather than constantly on the defensive. Yes, you grow faster and build faster in good times and maybe more slowly in the bad times, but you've constantly got to be vigilant to the risks in the world, but not be constrained, not limited by them completely, because that way your competitors are going to outstrip you, outrun you, because mm. you can bet your bottom dollar, they're not waiting around for times to improve. Sure. And they're brave. I got the very distinct impression that these people are brave, very brave. Okay, but what, 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 if you're not brave, then you are cowardly. That's the antonym of mm. brave. Mm. And, and certainly, I mean, nobody's ever started a business as cowardly. Nowhere mm. in the world do cowards mm. start businesses. Business leaders, business founders are, are, are risk takers. These right. are people with enormous amount of courage. But even they get frightened from time to time. Even sure. they get apprehensive from time to time. The one thing they've got, is grit, true grit. Grit is a determination to succeed. Grit is a determination to overcome fear and obstacles. Grit is the thing that makes those that succeed in a world of average stand out and shine above everybody else. What they do have is a healthy sense of optimism, mm. the ability to navigate uncertainty, and a real sense of grit and determination to overcome obstacles. Because no matter how good you are, no matter how clever you are, no matter how well you plan, mm. the obstacles are going to come at you thick and fast um, each and every single day. And those that succeed you know, are, are very good. I don't know, maybe video games are the solution to the future that tell you how to duck and die fast. But yeah, we, 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 we love, I, I, my, my good friend, Lewis Pugh, um, who mm. is a global ice swimmer. He goes and what swims the North Pole, the South Pole, with the penguins, with the polar bears, sure. uh, with all sorts of things. And Lewis Pugh, I knew him as a young boy at, at, at school. Um, and Lewis Pugh has grown into this global campaigner on climate mm. change. He's got the sense of true purpose and grit. It's the same sort of true purpose and grit that I see in Robbie Brosen, the founder of mm. Nando's, which is bigger and bigger in the United States, which is absolutely absolutely enormous in the United Kingdom, which is growing rapidly across Asia. Um, the sense of true grit is something that makes great people stand up head and shoulders above the, above the rest. And we love the stories like Lewis Pugh and a guy yes. called Peter Van Ketz who has sucked the Atlantic madness. We love the stories of people who climb Mount Everest, um, <laughs> you know, with little or no oxygen or whatever the case is, because we admire that inner strength that some people have. We admire the underdog. We admire people who do great things. Um, and I, in my book and in the work that I do, have a huge admiration for people who start enterprises in an environment of scarcity, in an environment where they're short on hope, short on capital, that is short on skills, um, that is, is, is short on optimism. Yet a handful of people are able to embrace that environment and really use it to grow great enterprises. The last thing I am going to ask you, because it's always been very interesting to me, you've spoken to so many of these incredible people who have either been geniuses when they've arrived at your desk or have become geniuses. Did you know, in the ones that were not already established geniuses, people with new ideas, a fresh idea, did they sit down in front of Bruce and Bruce went, this is a genius in the making. Is there something that you can see? Is there something tangible that you can see and feel when you talk to these people? 
Uh, no, and that's the wonderful thing about it, because sometimes you get really compelling individuals who I think are a bit psychopathic, um, yes. who, who have got a great <laughs> idea, but it's an unrealistic goal, or they don't have the, what's the lovely Yiddish word, the nachas to make uh -huh. it work. Sure. Um, they they simply don't, they, they, they talk the talk, but they can't deliver on it. Um, but I'm watching a whole bunch of startups, and I talk about some of them. There is a, a brilliant pan-African business, who, which is eyeing Latin America next for its expansion. It's mm. called Sweep South. It's a platform, Uber, yes. uh, Airbnb-like platform, mm -hmm. um, which gets domestic workers into work for as many hours a day, a week as they want, at a rate that they want, with a willing buyer, willing selling principle, all based on smartphone technologies nice. um and there's a, another guy called katlejo mapai um who is creating payment systems and digitizing africa as a very much a cash-based economy mm. um uh, well, a series of economies 51 economies with digitizing the world we know the power of digital mm. and these young people i mean he raised a billion rand wow. so what was that about 800 <laughs> 800 million dollars in the united states last oh, year. And a, a, an exceptional individual right. um who is taking the world by a storm now yep. you sit down with these guys and they're by no means average these are people who are performing at a very high level and just because you perform at a high level doesn't mean that you're going to be successful elizabeth holmes is a, a great example example of an American entrepreneur who was fated and loved and adored for her grand ambitions in terms of blood testing with simply a drop of blood turned out mm. to be a dreadful, uh, a dreadful fraud. Um, so you've got to be careful as to who you who you take interest in and who you treat seriously. Um, but you know, that's also part of the skill, of course, of having your bulldust detectors finely tuned when you're telling stories of, of success and optimism. <laughs> I do like that. And a good way to finish too. Thank you, Bruce, for your time once again. It's been a real treat. I'm looking forward to reading the book. It is right behind you, Bruce Whitfield, genius. I do love it. Very there's well an audio book coming out. If you don't like ah, reading, there's an yes. audio book that's out now. All right, um, good. Podcast series coming. All of those there kinds is going of things. to be an online course on how to teach ah. this sense of grit. All of the stuff is in the works. It's very, very interesting. And thank you so much, Bruce. You're a real treat. You really are. Thank you. Nice to see you. Cheers. Cheers. If indeed you would like to find out more about Bruce or any of the other speakers involved in the Global Speakers Showcase brought to you by Speakers Inc., all you have to do is log on to speakersinc.com, find out all the details that you're looking for to make sure that you book just the perfect entertainer or speaker for your next event. That's speakersinc.com. And on behalf of Bronwyn and Duncan, thank you so much once again for being with us today. We will see you on the next one. Oh, 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 oh,